Yo! Joey, what's up, man? Hold up. Wait a second. Turn that off. MacBook speakers. Yes, okay. Can you hear me okay? Perfectly. I can't hear you. Let me you can't see. Can you hear me? Okay. Let's see if my speakers. Wait, now try again. Can you hear me now? Boom! Let's go. What's up, dude? Nice, man. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. It's great to see you, brother. Good seeing you too. It's been a while. I know, man. It's been a while. Here, I'm optimizing my setup back here. Last Every... time we last time we talked, I think you were still back home. It was right before I think you moved, right? Right before, yeah. I was gonna say I think it was right before I moved, and I moved down in like July. So I'm kind of finally settled in and everything, and even uh, Matt moved in now too. So it, it's been awesome. interesting, man. I had the whole like I had like eight months alone, and then or. Uh, now I got the roommate again, which is actually nice because my only roommate experience was college. And you know how that goes, especially when you're trying to like build a business and stuff. And you got your, your boys trying to party and have fun, which is totally cool. But not when you're trying to build something, you know, so, uh, nice having Matt now where he's doing the exact same thing and he gets it. And it's like every morning we wake up and race to the laptop. That's awesome. Um, so before before I start asking you some questions myself, because I have a ton um, for the people listening in the future, can you just let them know what you're doing right now and what you're up to? Yeah, dude. Um, right now, what I'm doing and what I'm up to, um, dude, I'm definitely still in the the building season, right? For DK, for Default Kings. Um, you know, we're at a point where we're right on the brink of just mass scale. And the biggest thing that we're learning to do right now is starting to run, you know, paid ads to cold traffic and everything. And that's an entire part of the market that we just haven't broken into. So we're definitely still in the season of building and grinding. It's a little less chaotic because we have a team now, which is very, very nice. Uh, but we're definitely still in the trenches. You know, every day is still a 10 to 12 hour mission to continue to build this company. Um, but other than that, man, I'm living the 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 Zen life, man. It's it's build a business, it's go fight, it's go lift, come home, do it again the next day. So that that's the life I've been living, brother. That's awesome. So now explain. So what are you guys doing with Default Kings? So from what I've seen, you're helping uh, men get their health back, um, get into better shape. Um, but specifically, I like what you guys do with the default actions. Uh, I've seen you and your guys share that a bunch. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that I've even thought about that for myself too. Um, I think I've just used a different term in my life, but I think that's a, a big thing. So can you explain a little bit about what you guys do um, when you're working with your clients? Yeah. So what we do is uh, our company is called Default Kings. And what we are is we're an online fitness coaching company that works specifically with men to help them transform their body. Majority of those guys are weight loss. And the way we do it is through our mechanism of default actions. And we define these as subconscious habits. Right. So another way you can think about it is that it's literally right. That's right. Think about it. And the reason that we've landed on this mechanism for change is because ultimately at the end of the day, we know if we give you some kind of grueling training regime or some unsustainable diet, you're only going to get temporary results. And the way that we actually have to um, get you to a point where you can sustain this forever without us is we have to change the habits. And the way to change the habits is to change the subconscious beliefs and identities that you hold about yourself. Because ultimately, your actions reflect that. And the actions that you take every single day create the life that you're currently living. So right. we kind of get it down to the psychological root. And that's what allows our guys to leave and either keep losing weight, right? Or stay where they're at, right? And maintain after after getting it all off. And even, um, even when I'm going through my own, I'm reflecting on my own health journey. 
Um, something that I didn't really appreciate was the mindset shift at the beginning that I needed to make in order to make that physical change. So when I saw you starting to talk about that more, that resonated a lot because mm -hmm. that's that's the catalyst, in my opinion. Are those some subconscious behaviors and actions that we take or don't take? Um, even though there's some kind of awareness that we know that it's the wrong thing for us, but we'll still do it <laughs> anyway. And so many people suffer with that. So that's why when I saw that that's what your your company was about and that's the business that you guys are building, I, I'm in full support and I think that's awesome. And um, you guys have helped a bunch of guys so far, right? Like over 300 or something? It was 256 last year alone. Wow. So that was just last year. So our number, we, we honestly don't know like the total number. It's somewhere past the 300 mark because we're over, we're over that at this point in time rolling into uh, 2023. So it's somewhere past 300. It's probably closer to five, honestly, um, if I had to, to put a guess on it. That's awesome, man. So now in order for you to do that, you kind of have to have a good grip of your default actions yourself, right? So explain to me a little bit your health journey. I know that you played soccer in college, mm -hmm. uh, good athlete. Um, you're into lifting, you coach people through that a bunch. You train uh, mixed martial arts, specifically even jujitsu. So how have you mastered or even still in the process of mastering your own subconscious behaviors, default actions? How did you start to recognize that? What was like that moment or was it a specific moment or is it something that you just made sense of yourself over time? Yeah, I like to explain my fitness journey is very organic. Every time I've been asked what my personal one is, I tell people it's very, very organic because I was born into a house where both my parents were physical therapists. And I know you and I have talked about this privately. Yeah. As well, where it's like I was just kind of dropped into the world of kinesiology, whether I liked it or not. It was part of my life. And then obviously playing sports competitively growing up, that was another avenue for me to continue to adopt habits that I still have now. Um, it started out for me as I was getting in the weight room. I probably started lifting when I was 13 or 14. I think it was like eighth or ninth grade. And I got in there with the main intention of like, this is going to make me better at my sport. So of course I'm going to do it. Right. It wasn't, it was literally for no other reason than that. Right. And I obviously started to see the benefits of like, oh, wait, I look good. I feel good. I'm confident. All the stuff that comes alongside of it that I didn't even know was a, a benefit. I was just focused on getting better at my sport. Um, and once I got to college, I actually started studying that as well. So I started studying exercise science. My original plan was to go down the same path. Both my parents did. I was going to go to PT school. I was going to work with either athletes or military personnel um, in the world of physical therapy. And then um, what changed for me was when COVID happened and our season got shut down. Mm. And that was the first time in my life where I wasn't playing soccer because that was all I did. Literally, like sun up to sundown. Every single month, there was no off season. You played, yeah, yeah, so yeah. You, you you get it's, it right. Where it's, it's just it's like nonstop. Six, six days a week, uh, multiple teams, multiple practices. Yeah, yeah nonstop, indoors, yeah, outdoors. Totally, and you totally can relate. And everybody that's done it, or even done maybe just a high level sport as a as a kid, whether it be at a club or academy level, get it. It's nonstop. Yeah. There's no off season, and that was the first time in my life I was forced to slow down and be like, well, what the hell am I going to do now? And that's how I stumbled into martial arts. And I was listening to, or no, I was reading Jocko's book, his actual manual, Discipline Equals Freedom, right? And one of the things he said in there is like, everybody should train martial arts and the one you should get into is jujitsu. And mm -hmm. I was like, all right, cool. So I walked into a walked into a dojo like two days later 
quickly found out it was a McDojo, but it's fine. <laughs> and then uh, a little little pivot there, found a, found a better gym locally to me. And that's how I started my martial arts journey. And after eight months of having no soccer and getting into the world of business, getting into martial arts, getting back into soccer for me, was it was difficult because it was like I shifted my identity. Mm. And that's a lot to do with these default actions that we talk about to give you that long loop back to your original question was like that for me was an identity shift because I had to learn how to operate in a life where I didn't have the only thing I'd ever known. I mean, I played soccer from the time I was five and it was my entire identity and it got pulled away from me. So that, I mean, that I can't tell you how many people I've talked to, especially even on this podcast where they said mm -hmm. that COVID was a phenomenal catalyst for them to, mm -hmm. or, or opportunity for them to just have some space Mm -hmm. uh with with what their typical day-to-day -day routine would be and it forced them to either change or to um to double down in what they were doing even more so yeah so i i could totally see how that could uh uh give you the opportunity and and space to to make that that change so now what what made you um want to now pursue this this business venture and to take that risk because when I was talking to you last, it was it was something that you were going back and forth between. You were not sure yep. if it was 100% the right decision, but in your gut, you were saying that you knew that you had to take on that chance. So um, I, I love talking to people about risk <laughs> because there's risk in every decision that we make, whether it's small, uh, medium, or large. So um, you're a young guy, and in my opinion, you have a great ability to be able to look into the future and delay your gratification so how were you making sense of that what really pushed you to take on that risk and to maybe do something that not everyone around you totally understood mm -hmm. dude there's so many ways i can answer that question man let me think about different avenues i could go down I, I think the the biggest one that probably comes to mind is the idea that it's less about how hard you row more about the boat that you're mm. rowing in right? That's cool. I like that. Right. I think that's somehow along the lines of the, the saying goes. And I realized that the opportunity vehicle that I had here with, with Jack and Gabe, who were my mentors in entrepreneurship, asking me to come on, be a part of their team and, and lead a department of their business and actually take ownership within the company as well. That was just an opportunity vehicle that I couldn't pass up. It was a no brainer. They'd already taught me so much. And I'm like, now I get to be on the inside and I get to actually put my, my stamp on their company as well. And once that door opened for me, which I can't remember if last time you and I talked, that door was open or not, that was when I just, I pushed it over the edge. I was like, I'm in, I'm all the way in, dropped out of school. After a few months, I waited till my lease was up, moved down to Florida and started doing this full time. I got out of the in-person training. I stopped doing my own clients online and went all in on, on this thing that we have together now. So that was the door that once it opened, I was like, I have to walk through this. And it was one of those things that for me, I have no other way to explain it and put it into words other than it was just a no brainer. It was like, yeah. of course I'm going to go do that. And so, so something when I'm thinking about taking chances like you did and, mm -hmm. and making sense of risk or understanding your risk appetite mm -hmm. over the last year or so, I've been thinking more about the faith component in it and not even faith in like a religious sense, but like faith in yourself, really. Mm -hmm. When I view faith, I view it as belief or, uh, yeah, like a belief in something that might not be tangible or right mm -hmm. in front of your face, um, something that you could see. But in order to make progress in something that you can't see or uh, that you can't touch, I feel like that faith component is so 
important. And that's something I'm trying to make sense of too. So I'm sure that you have to have that or see that in your clients too, or your clients have to have some kind of faith or belief in themselves that they will achieve um, the things that they're striving for in order to even put that effort in. Because I feel like if you don't have faith in yourself and what you're doing, then you're not going to wake up every morning to do the boring things or to do the monotonous mundane stuff that is essential for everything that you're doing. I'm sure that you could point out a million things about entrepreneurship, about physical training, about martial arts that might be boring on the day in day out. Um, but then when you look back on it, it's, it's the most important shit uh, yeah. that, that's building your business. So, um, so like, have you had to establish that in yourself, that faith component, or is that something that you've always had because of your religious background? Or um, do you see that in your clients at all? For me, it's a hundred percent a religious thing off the top of the head, right? For me, it's my faith um, that I know ultimately anything that I go through or any challenge that I take on, God has presented it to me for a reason. So that is the main component for me. Absolutely. The other component that's a little more tangible and that's not me saying faith is intangible, but I'm saying I can grasp it. I can see it. I can feel it. It's right. right. My faith is that I just always been a guy that found a way, whether it was, I joined a new team when I was playing soccer growing up, or I joined a new class or I did something that I was uncomfortable with. Like I was just a guy that found a way I always have been. Um, and that's not me being arrogant. That's just me looking at tangible proof of that. Right. And so I have faith not only in a religious sense, but I had faith in myself that I've always found a way to figure it out and I'm always going to make it work. And additionally, I was just fortunate enough to have what I tell people is the best father in the world. And he built borderline delusional self-belief in me. I love and that. He was, and, he was the, and he was the first person that ever did that. Right. So and how, because how do you, of that, how do you, how do you think? Like how, how so? How so? Oh, dude, I think you might ex experience this too, just because I knew you were playing soccer in the super hyper competitive world and how crazy that can be. But like, he was the guy where I would try out for a team. He'd be like, oh yeah, dude, you're going to make a team. Like you can play on the national team if you want to. Like straight face, like not like he's not fucking around. Like he genuinely believe that. And and I, even me being like a 14 year old kid, I was like, all right, dad, like relax. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like, what, what do you mean relax? Like you could. And I'm like, okay, okay, dad. And he was that guy and he always was. And the same thing happened in, in business, right? Where I originally came to him with goals that I had and all this stuff. And he just looked at me straight face and he's like, well, you could do more. Like you wow. could do better than that. He's always been that guy for me. Same thing with my grandpa as well. So having those two men in my life that from the time I was five years old were border or building borderline delusional uh, self-belief in me, that has made that choice and any choice I've made a lot easier. I love that you even said delusion and use that word because uh, yeah. that's something I've thought about for years now. I, I think that mm -hmm. if you have too much delusion, it's it obviously could go bad. But in, in my opinion, I feel like you almost have to be delusional to mm -hmm. to strive for, you know, the, the, the highest of the high that, that you could possibly reach, um, especially in today's world. Because if you look at all the ways that you could fail and you obsess over the infinite ways that you could fail or the way that things can go wrong. Like we said before, you're never going to really put in the the necessary effort mm -hmm. in order to reach what you're striving for. Mm -hmm. So that, that's awesome. Um, and the fact that you and dude, I'll, I'll tell you something too, dude, because you'll think this is freaking hilarious. Yeah. You're in the, in the combat sports world. Like he'll still do this shit, bro. He'll still do this. <laughs> like 
<laughs> he'll send me like a clip of some jujitsu crazy thing. You get it, like a BJJ fanatics thing. Yeah, like some, yeah. Some black belt doing a movie. He's like, oh, do you think you could hang with this guy? And I'll be like, dude, like, no. He's like, why don't you think so? Like, you're bigger than him. Like, you could do X, Y, Z. I'm like, bro, you still does this. There's so many levels. There's so many levels to it. I saw you. I saw you messing around with your dad the other day on the mats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I was home and uh, he wrestled for 10 years. So, I mean, he, he definitely understands the the grappling world. I still tell him I'd submit him though, if I <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, he can out wrestle me. That's for sure. And and the fact that you had a dad and, or that you have a dad and a grandfather that are extremely supportive like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's huge. I'm sure in your success too, like you were saying, I'm even realizing from people that I'm talking with or people in my life, as I'm trying to make sense of their success, um just because i'm interested in what Mm. the components of success are even someone like my wife i've said this before she's reached broadway which is the pinnacle of theater career um Mm -hmm. it's the top one percent of the one percent millions of people around the world are trying to reach broadway if they're in the theater world she says it all the time she wouldn't have made it if she didn't have a supportive system at home if she didn't have her mom and her dad pushing her to go to auditions that she might not have wanted to go to, to go to mm-hmm. dance classes that she might not have wanted to go to, to sing in front of people when she was insecure to do that. Um, so that support system, I think, is one of the key components that a lot of people miss sometimes when they're trying to make progress or strive in anything. So what you guys are doing with Default Kings is pretty cool because you're creating that community and you're creating that support mm-hmm. system, I'm sure. So now if we're transitioning into talking about what you guys are doing with clients and how you're Mm -hmm. taking what you've done in your personal lives and what you've done for yourselves and now helping others do that. Where does that community and like support system come? Like, so what you've had at home, not everyone might have, right? Like what, what I've had in supportive parents, not everyone might have uh, supportive friends. So how do you guys like establish that community and that support system to really help people uh, strive individually? Dude, the first thing is, I tell every coach that has any kind of personal coaching offer, I'm like, you need to build a community around it, especially if you're in health and fitness. If you think about just the model of health and fitness coaching as a whole, it's not exactly the best model for recurring revenue. Because if you're good at what you do as a fitness coach or a health coach in any capacity, I should be able to tell you everything you need to know about maintaining or achieving health within three to six months, worst case a year. So it's not exactly the best model to just have recurring payments coming in. Great point. What you can build for that is a community though. Now that's great for your business because you can literally have stuff on the back end where they can just stay a part of the community. And it's also great in the actual client experience because you can have a group of, for our case right now, 150 guys in there that are currently going through the program and doing all the things that they're doing together. And then when you're actually inside of that community, we started out doing one call a month as a group, then it was one a week and now mm. it's one a day. So we literally just gave them more opportunities to be connected and be in the same room with each other and realize, hey, I'm not a special butterfly. Right? Right. There's a there's hundred something other guys and millions of other people in the world going through a very, very similar situation to me right now. And I can actually build with them and create a relationship with them throughout this struggle. You look across human time. One of the biggest creators of brotherhood has always been struggle. I was just going to say literally, that. literally the biggest and this is me getting a little little uh, in a in a side tangent here, but it's like war. (laughs) War is the biggest thing, dude, right? Think about combat. 
Think about combat sports. The guys that you train fighting with right now, that's the biggest struggle ever. I can speak on my personal experience. The guys that I fight with, I have a better relationship with than guys that I played soccer with for 15 years. It's just a deeper struggle. So when you give them that community and that opportunity to do that together, Mm. that is what gives them that support system on top of the fact that they all have a coach and things like that, right? But when you make it a community support system, it's so difficult for them to fail. Do you think that community and that support system is what builds the faith or the belief or at least helps them establish that if they might not have had it themselves? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's ways that I'll, I'll get a little tactical on it too, as well. There's ways that if you're a coach or you're somebody that sells some kind of coaching offer, you can tactically build this into the community. We have a wins channel, right? Right. We literally have a channel for guys to drop wins into. However, I have the coaches every single day, pool wins and flood the wins channel every day. So they're in this community and they're sitting there and they're watching all these other guys doing the exact same things that they're doing, getting wins that builds belief in the product that you have. And if for some reason, that they're not maybe seeing the results they want, they are going to adopt personal responsibility because they're like, well, this guy's doing good. This guy's doing good. This guy's doing good. They're flooded with proof that the system works. So they will adopt personal responsibility and think about what can I do better? And that's that's where it really comes through. And you get it because you coach people with health as well. You can tell them everything. If they don't take personal responsibility, they're not going to see results. They can log off Zoom and do whatever the hell they want. Right. So as a coach and somebody that's running a community like this, you can be super, super tactical about building belief in the product that you have and the client experience that's going on. And you can do it through dropping that proof, just like you would in marketing, dropping it inside of the actual community. So you can be super tactical if you're the owner of a a community like that. That, That's a phenomenal way to allow people to do it themselves, too, because you're not forcing them to think anything. You're not telling them what to think or how to do it it's it's happening organically just from creating that space and holding that space and it's uh it's no different than if you did it in person that's why i i love the transition that you made from in real life to online because online is infinitely scalable yeah infinitely and it's funny that you bring that up too because it was like i was doing in-person training then it was all virtual for about a year now and now we're starting to have in-person retreats we actually have our first one a month from today so it's funny because it's like in person online and now we're taking the online stuff (laughs) in person offering them retreats offering them masterminds offering them the chance to not only be a part of this community inside of slack and on zoom but in real life like come and give me jack and gabe a hug and give the other guys a hug and be like, holy shit, this is the guy that I've built this bond with through right. my phone. It's right. now right here in front of me. Right. And and that's and that's even important because ultimately, I'm sure you know, uh, the, mm-hmm. the in real life stuff is is what ultimately matters. But um, mm-hmm. in order to get that nowadays, creating that community online and then meeting up in person might make that even easier and strengthen mm-hmm. that connection even more. So that's mm-hmm. why I think that's a, it's a perfect route and a perfect avenue. It's like casting a wide net. And then, and then uh, bringing that community in tighter with whoever wants to join. Um, so that's, that's awesome. I love that. Um, oh, yeah. So now, even with talking about your clients specifically and the people that you're helping change those default actions, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see people face? Or what are some of the most common undesirable default actions that you see men dealing with today? Mm-hmm. dude the biggest thing 
that we see with all of our guys coming in. Now, obviously, part of this is going through the sales process and, and qualifying them as a candidate to be in part of the program. But the biggest thing that we see with guys coming in is just negative self-identities, mm. which ultimately lead to those negative default actions, which I could also get into. But I mean, the biggest thing, and I think the most valuable thing that the audience could take away from it is like the labels that you give yourself and the way that you look at yourself. It's going to have a massive impact on the way that you behave throughout the day. So the most common labels that we see guys come into the program with is literally as abrasive as like, I'm a fat piece of shit. I'm wow. lazy. I procrastinate. I'm a fat ass. I'm a fatty. Like they literally think wow. that of themselves. And the comparison I give is always like, if you think that you are that, you will act that out, right? If you think that you are lazy, you are going to act lazy. You're going to stay on the couch. You aren't going to do those things. If you think that you're a fat piece of shit, you're <laughs> going to eat like that. You're going to go grocery shop and have that in the back of your mind. And it's subconscious for a lot of people until we bring it to the surface when they enter, but it's subconscious for a lot of people, but they act it out throughout their day to day. And one of the things that we have guys do right when they join. And again, I think this is something that would be valuable for the audience is like sit there with a notebook and a pen and ask yourself the question, like, what does the conversation in my head look like? What does the little voice in my head right. tell me about myself? And you have to be brutally honest here. That is the only way to actually bring the subconscious stuff up. Because if you're just like, oh, buh, 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 and you're not actually going deep on it, you're not going to get anything out of it. But when you sit there and you really, really go like, what do I actually think of myself? You can bring a lot of these identities that you have to the surface. And for a lot of people, there's going to be a lot of negatives there unless you regularly audit this stuff. And it's so easy to identify ourselves with how we look or um, how others might project mm -hmm. how they see us. It, it is really easy because just from me getting to know people throughout my life, um, not many, or I'd say less of less than the majority actually are willing to go deep mm -hmm. and, and question what they know and question who they think they are. So I can mm -hmm. see why if, if you don't address that stuff over time, that could build up and that negative identity could just compile into, uh, you know, and like an uncontrollable monster to a degree. Um, I, I'm even thinking about when I was heavier, I don't know if I ever identified. I mean, I guess I identified as like a, a chubbier guy, but I always knew deep down that I was capable of more and that I was, mm -hmm. I was able to do better. Um, so I would, I would look at myself in the mirror and be like, dude, you're fat. Like you're fat right now, like you're, you're out of shape, but it would be with a sense of love, knowing that I could be more disciplined, that I could, um, that I could show up and be more accountable each day. Uh, so I don't know if when I was struggling for like four or five years to lose the 80 pounds that I did, if, if it was really rooted in my identity or if I was lacking belief, but I guess that's one and the same. Um, because if I truly did believe that I wasn't that lazy person or that undisciplined person, I probably would have just acted mm -hmm. on it much sooner. So even without me realizing, I probably identified with that negative self-image without even realizing it. So the fact that you're helping people become aware of that is probably one of the greatest aha moments that they'll ever have in their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Mike, something you said too, that I think is very, very important because it's a clarifying point for this idea because it, it can sound super woo woo if you don't get tactical on it. Yes. And I totally understand that, right? I get it in the timeline all the time. Oh, this is bullshit. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I understand from the outside, yeah. it sounds kind of woo woo, but something you said, 
is you were like, I would look in the mirror and I'd say, I'm fat right now. Right now is the part of that that I wanted to clarify on. Because it's totally okay to call yourself out. I was right. lazy today. You know, I ate like shit today. <laughs> right. Right. It's the right now. It's actually labeling the behavior versus labeling yourself as mm. I'm fat. I'm lazy. You can call out the behavior, but you have to make sure it's specific to the behavior like you did right now. Because that's not a forever label that you place on yourself. It's just like, yeah, right now I'm I'm off my game. And that's where a lot of people mess up is they they place it on themselves as a whole. They don't differentiate and go right now or today or I was acting like it's always just me. That's where people get into a deep hole is when they just blanket it to themselves. So now so now when you're working with people and you start to have them make sense of that identity that they might be mm-hmm. walking around with or they might be labeling themselves with when do you start to see that that shift like where they start to gain a little bit momentum and then that maybe that momentum starts to shift into discipline is it after a certain period of time that you've noticed with most people or is it after they do certain things physically or is it after they see physical change that they start to strengthen that belief in themselves like where do you start to see that that click over I'm glad you said the word discipline as well, because a lot of people think default actions and discipline are the same thing. And I always like to differentiate them as default actions. It's like brushing your teeth, right? Mm. Like you don't have to think about doing that. You don't have to force yourself and strong arm yourself to go do it. You're just going to do it. And I know for you, probably with jujitsu and working out, I know it is for me. I don't have to force myself to go to jujitsu. Right. I don't have to force myself to go to the gym. I just go. It's just, just right I, might not, I might not even feel like I might not feel like it, but I'm not forcing myself. It's just part of what I do. I just go. That's a default action. Now, when people start to actually see that click is when they actually go through the mental framework of identifying what are the negative self-beliefs that I hold. That'd be the first part. The second part would be like, okay, what are the positive ones that I want to hold? Mm. Well, I want to see myself as fit. Okay. That's the identity that we're after. How do I actually make that happen? Well, you can't just walk around and say, I'm fit, I'm fit, I'm fit and affirm it in the mirror and it just happens. You have to actually take action that aligns with it. So you have this goal, this positive self-identity that you're after, that you're trying to align yourself with. Now you got to align your actions with it. So a way that we tactically have guys do this is we have them write out what's called a power list. So it's three to five high ROI tasks that you can do every single day that are going to move you towards your goals. So if your goal is to adopt that positive self-identity of fit, what are some things that you would have on your power list as non-negotiables every day? Mm. Maybe it's walk 10K steps. Maybe it's eat 150 grams of protein. Maybe it's go to the gym. Maybe it's eat under 2000 calories a day or whatever it may be. But you need to put those on that list and you need to check that box every single day. And after a week, two weeks, three weeks, six weeks, 12 weeks, a year of doing those actions every single day, what inevitably happens is you are now that fit person that you aspire to be. So you, and you've so shifted you, your identity. I was going to say, so you create that that more desirable identity and then yep. they reverse engineer the daily steps that exactly. it'll take together. Reverse engineer is a great way to say it, right? I've actually explained it to guys like that too. And that's a great way to put it is you figure out where you're trying to go and you backtrack it to what do I need to do every single day to get there? And then you continue to act that out over time. Are, are there certain non-negotiables that you guys suggest for people mm-hmm. to, to hit? Absolutely. Day? Yeah, absolutely. And we're very, very simple when guys first come into the program. I mean, the first two big things that we have them focus on nutritionally is like, just hit your protein goal, just hit your calorie goal. We'll talk about fats and carbs later. We'll talk about even getting to a point where you don't need to track that stuff. Mm. But for now coming in, 
a big reason why you are where you are is because you have no idea what's going in your body. <laughs> you should probably learn the skill of tracking. I don't track personally. Jack doesn't. Gabe doesn't. Our coaches don't. But we know what's going into our body. A guy that's maybe as much as 100 pounds overweight and has 15% extra body fat on him, he's not aware. He genuinely doesn't know how much he's actually eating. So we'll have them track. That's going to be one big thing that's on the power list straight away. Track your calories, track your protein. Another big thing is going to be a movement goal. So whether that be you have a walk scheduled that day, you have a step goal that day, or you have a workout that day. But those two big things, you're like your training and your move or your movement and your nutrition, those are two things that on everybody's list when they start is there. Hit your calories and your protein and hit your movement, whatever that is for the day, whether that be walking, whether that be getting a lift in, hit it. And those are the two that like non-negotiable we have for everybody. Those are big. And um the 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 awareness around what you're consuming and why was was big for me too. And even when I'm working with people or just giving advice, mm -hmm. the, the phrase that I keep thinking about is and it, and it was kind of what you were saying, you have to fry the bigger fish first. Like, you know, yep. you can't you can't really worry about uh, you know, not getting that steak in the supermarket because it was wrapped in cellophane and <laughs> yeah, uh, right, right, plastic. Yeah, yeah. Because you're because you're worried about microplastics. Uh, if you're you know a hundred pounds overweight, like you gotta <laughs> you gotta you gotta figure out uh, you know why you're consuming what you are, and just overall get better fuel into your system. Yeah, and it's funny because I just wrapped up a lesson on this in one of our group coaching calls. One of the ones that we do every single week is a nutrition one, and I lead that one. And we just wrapped up a unit on nutritional order of operations, but it kind of applies to all of fitness. And basically what I told them in a nutritional sense is the 80% of the battle is the quantity game. That's 80% like, uh, calories, you mean? Like calories? Yeah, it's like proper calories, proper protein. Then we talk about carbs and fats. And then that last 20% that pushes the micro optimization of like ensuring everything is grass fed, avoiding microplastics, right. making sure that we're using glass with our Tupperware, making sure we have like, you know, mineral water and things like that. Right. That's what I tell guys. I'm like, if you can lay the foundation of the 80%, that last 20% is just the push. It's the extra push. Now, don't get me wrong. If a guy is on his journey to nailing the 80% and he wants to add elements of micro optimization to his quantity foundation. That's totally cool. I'm just not going to tell him to focus on it because it shouldn't be his main focus. If you want it, to do it, it that is too fine. much too fast, right? It just shouldn't be your priority. Your priority should not be at the beginning when you're hundred pounds overweight, making sure your beef is grass fed. It just needs to be making sure you're eating enough protein, right? If you want to add to your grocery list, grass-fed instead of regular, that's totally cool. Do it. I'm just not going to point it out to you. I'm not going to make it a thing that you need to stress about. I'll make, make sure you hit the protein. The biggest thing that you're stressing about by any means hit it. And so now that the, the calories, I'm always interested in that too, because I've heard, or I'm seeing a bigger debate on that now. You know, some people oh, yeah. don't, don't count calories. Uh, some people are very strict with it. Mm -hmm. I I've, done it similarly to you where at first when I was losing weight and I started intermittent fasting, I was just curious as to how much I was consuming and how much I wasn't on a day-to-day -day basis. So, um, I, uh, I started counting calories and then over time I didn't need to anymore. Um, so do, do you try to get the people that you're working with to cut a certain amount? Uh, oh, are you able to hear me? I think I might've lost you. Oh, I can hear you a little bit. You're cutting in and out. Okay. Can you hear me now? There we go. We're back. I think we're back. 
we go. I think you're back a little bit. Let me check. Okay, I think we're back. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you now. I can hear you, yeah. Okay. So what I was what I was gonna oh, cool. get at was um are you trying to have the people that you're working with cut only a certain percentage of calories or just become aware of how much they're consuming and, and just getting a rough estimate or um, like, you know, how are you establishing those numbers to create that awareness? There we go. I think you, go. you look good now. You look good now. Okay. All right. So I, I'm pretty sure. Oh man, it's doing it again. Here, hold on. Let me check my end. Okay. My Wi-Fi seems okay. Here, let me check my Andy real quick, brother. All right, it looks it looks like. Looks okay. All right, looks I think good. we're good. Yeah, I think we're good. Okay, cool. All right, okay, cool. sweet. All right. Nice. So you were talking about you were talking about uh, calories, right? The yeah. Calories. So, so how do you how do you help people create that awareness around uh, what the number in regards to just the number specifically and how we land on that? Yeah, and 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 like what they're aiming for, like is it oh, a ten? Here we go. Is again. it a ten percent deficit? Damn, island connection. Hmm. Let me see if I go inside. Let me try to hmm. go outside. Let me see. I'm wondering if it's me. I don't know. I can't tell. I'm going to try to go inside and see. Does this work better? The audio definitely sounds better. Okay. Oh yeah, it's looking better. It's keeping up with you now and everything. Better? Yeah, way better. Right. <laughs> there we go. Nice. All right. So now what Wait, I was saying so the was great uh, calorie debate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So so do you guys look to keep uh like a certain amount of calories? Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, do you look to cut, you know, maybe 10% or reduce calories by 10% or being a 10% deficit? Is that what you guys are looking for? How do you guys approach that? Mm -hmm. The first thing that we do is we figure out basal metabolic rate. Now, obviously the, the nuance there is that every little calculator that you find online or you use in a, a virtual setting is going to be a guess ultimately to start. The only way to determine a true BMR would be in a lab type setting. We can't do that with guys that we're training virtually, right? right. Even if they were in person, it's a very expensive endeavor that in my opinion is overkill because a typical online BMR calculator is going to give you a very, very rough estimate. And ultimately at the end of the day, the best way to know whether or not you're in a proper deficit is if you're losing weight. So if I have an estimated BMR for you, Mike, and I tell you to eat at this BMR or sometimes even for a short period of time below it, and you're stepping on the scale every day and not losing weight, I know that that calculation was inaccurate. And I'm like, okay, well, that must not be your BMR because I know if I get you at your BMR or below it, you should be losing weight 100% if it was an accurate calculation. Right. And so I try to dumb it down to like caveman of literally calories in, calories out. And it sounds so silly. And the only way to confirm it is to be weighing yourself every single day and getting data points. And I used to be the guy that was in the camp of weigh yourself once a week. And then you think about it more and it's like, well, would I rather have four data points a month or 30? 30. I'd rather have 30. Right. So how we determine it is, again, is a very basic calculation that 
basically you learn in school, St. Mifflin GR or Mifflin St. GR calculator, right? And we go from there. We like to start guys out low. So either at BMR, sometimes briefly below it, because we want the first two to four weeks, especially to be heavily comprised of wins and guys seeing results fast, because no matter how you square it, even if you tell a client and anybody that's actually in the game and coaching gets this, even if you tell a client, Hey, Mike, we're doing it scientifically, man, it's going to be a, a half pound a week. Cause that's what the science says and the safe way to do it. If six weeks goes by and they've lost three pounds, they're not going to be that excited. Right. Unless they see some mega benefit outside of just, well, which it would have to be something super, super tangible. They're not going to be very excited to keep going and keep doing the process. So you have to, think about the psychology of a human being and getting them bought in early. So they stick to the long game. So we go hyper aggressive, like the first six weeks, like I want them losing double digits weight. And then we can do the more sustainable approach after a short term, basically a cut. And so we will give them back calories after that typically. So we kind of do the inverse dieting model is another way to think of it. Nice. As you lose weight, give you back more calories. Cause here's the other thing. And this is why the inverse dieting works and almost in my mind is necessary is because if you are having these people lift weights and put on muscle, their metabolism is growing while they're doing this process. So they're literally going to need more calories just to function on a basic metabolic level. You're giving them more muscle, right? Their metabolism is increasing. It's so like turning their body into a furnace. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that's where most people, they're just like, oh, as I lose weight, I'm just going to keep dropping my calorie total. I'm like, that's going to be a miserable existence. If you're somebody that's doing resistance training, which you should be and building muscle because your body's going to need more of those calories, the more muscle you put on. Right. So and then the more muscle you're putting on, the more fat you're burning mm-hmm. at a, at a resting rate or exactly. at, at a resting state. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so it's super, super simple. And I tell people, I'm like, muscle is your insurance policy for never getting the weight back. I like that. Right. Like it literally <laughs> is it literally is. Because it just makes it simpler. It puts it on autopilot and I dumb it down to guys as you're going to burn more calories while you're sleeping. Think about it like that. Dude, that, that, that's like the same thing with uh, investing. It's like, you know, you're having your money work for you as you're sleeping, mm-hmm. as you're taking a shit, as you're brushing your yeah, teeth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything. All that. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. That's huge. That's huge. All right. So, so the inverse dieting, I, I never actually heard of that or thought about it like that. And I like the fact that you add calories back once they've gone through that. I guess more intense cut, yeah. so to say. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I can I can relate to that too because even when I competed, I did a jujitsu competition in early December, and I was walking around in October. I was walking around at like one eighty five, like one eighty six, uh, which I just got like that just because I was just eating more than what I normally was. I wasn't in bad shape, but I wasn't as cut as I am now. Um, but I saw that jujitsu competition as a great vehicle for me to say fuck it i'm just gonna do an intense six week six to seven week cut uh see what kind of shape i can get in and try to make the 170 pound division so over over uh the first two weeks of that i i did exactly what you were saying i just um reduced my calories a little bit um upped my protein got more satiated with each meal because i was up my protein Um, my cravings went away uh, and the first two weeks were a little bit difficult. I felt my body being stubborn with wanting to drop below 178 because I wasn't below 180 for, I don't know, like six months to a year. Um, but then after maybe the third week, it just started to fall off. 
Mm -hmm. uh, to the point where the day before competition, I was actually 169. I was like, shit, I could actually afford to, uh, <laughs> I, I could afford to, to, to eat a little bit and, uh, to eat more than what I was. Um, but it was interesting because people saw me drop 15 pounds in six weeks and they thought that that was insane. Yeah. But I feel like I was only able to do that because I, I knew what I was doing and I've done it before. My body was primed to just yep. drop the fat and still be able to perform to a degree where I had to compete and uh, compete at a high level um, in competition that next day. So I can totally see how that works. And since then, I've just stayed around the same weight. I've just stayed around like 170 to 173. Um, and I wasn't anticipating that I was in, anticipating my body wanting to pop back up to 180, but just, I don't know why, I, I guess maybe I've just been consuming less calories, but I'm consuming more protein than I was. And I've just maintained that lower body fat percentage without even trying. So what you're saying is totally true. And, uh, it's, it's, it works. Um, it just seems too intense for people at first, but it's really not. And is there a certain number that you try to hit with guys like one or two pounds a week or something like that? There's no specific number that we target because it's so subjective. It's really just going to depend on where a person's at. Cause we've had guys that are over 400. We have guys that are 180 and trying to get to 160. Right. So there's, it's really hard to target a number. Um, the target that we go after for the entirety of the 12 weeks in a weight loss situation is up to 10% of your body weight within 12 weeks. We found that that's a, a pretty good okay. metric to fall. If a guy's 400 in 12 weeks, we'd like to get him 40 pounds. Nice. If a guy's 250 in 12 weeks, we'd like to drop 25 pounds. And that's been a really, really good metric for us to target with guys throughout a 12 week period. Now, again, there's nuance to it. Some guys are going to go faster. Some guys are going to go slower, but it's a very, very good target to set. That's awesome. And uh, I like that number. That's a good number. Mm -hmm. The 10%, 12 weeks. Um, so now once you see people start to make that physical transformation, where do you see their, their mental game or their, their spiritual uh, aspect of themselves? Do you see that oh, uh, begin to explode too? Oh, dude. Yeah. We have a, uh... It's so funny. We have one client. I won't say his name just because of privacy and everything, but uh, he's lost like 75 pounds. He's been with us for like eight awesome. months. He was a guy that started, he was in the mid to high 300s, um, but he'll have lost a hundred pounds in like a year, which is fast. Right. Totally fast. But he's a completely different human being. Like we've have coaching calls recorded all the way from back when he started. And you can literally just the tone of his voice. It's That's like voice, awesome. It's like voice physiognomy, right? Like his voice is different. The way he speaks is different. His tone, he's walking around. Like you can see his chest is yeah, like, like calls yeah. now, right? He's like puffing. He's not thinking about it. I don't think maybe he is, but you can just tell that the way somebody carries themselves um, when they've actually shifted those identities and they're actually living out the ones that we were talking about earlier, the ones that they were aspiring to be like when they're actually living them out it's surreal for them because they're like, holy shit, I didn't actually think this was even possible. And I did it. So it completely shifts the way that they carry themselves throughout the world. And one of the biggest things that we see with the mechanism that we teach of default actions and these identities is you can apply it to different parallels of life. So obviously we tell them in a fitness capacity, but you can use the same psychology for your career, for your relationships. And it's funny because one of our, um, sort of money business mentors that we have mindset, everything, Jeremy Newsom 
I'll plug him real quick. His book is Money Grows on Trees. It's on Amazon. Great book. He teaches this exact same principles for money in that book mm. where he's like, the first thing that you have to adjust is your subconscious beliefs and identities that you hold around money. Mm. So you can apply this psychological concept to every area of life. And we see guys doing it with their marriages, with their jobs, and they take the lessons they learned here and they go and use it in those other areas. That's, that's uh, one of the more powerful things that you could do, honestly. And I've, mm -hmm. I've felt that shift in my energy, my personality, the way that I see the world. Um, just, yeah, even that, like the way that I viewed the world after being in a healthier body was night and day different. I, when I was unhealthy, I was cynical. Um, I would focus on negative things, uh, focus on emotions and feelings more than what was in my control. And it was something that you said before, it's the difference between being reactive or proactive. It's, you know, like, like what can I do? And uh, just being in a healthier body, healthier mind, you're constantly thinking about the more proactive things instead of being reactive. So you guys are changing people's lives and uh, I'm, I'm sure they're eternally grateful for that. Oh, dude, hundred percent. And an example of this as well for for now that we're talking about the idea of this is like a lot of our guys are very successful in their professional life. If we had them do that initial exercise with their positive and negative self-identities that they hold, if they were talking about their business, they'd probably write out like, I'm a fucking kid. <laughs> I print money. It would be like cocky in their career. And they might be cocky in their marriage, but in their health, they're like, man, I'm a fat piece of shit. Wow. And like, that's a totally real thing because it's a different hat that they wear. And if you just break life into health, wealth, relationships, that's usually a really good three paradigm to look through you're going to get different answers in each one and you can go down and say what are the negative health identities that i hold with my health what are the positive ones i want you can do it for your wealth so whether that be as an investor whether that be with your career however a businessman however it is you make money you can do it with your significant other or your kids and you can literally do that same mental pattern of what are the negative self-identities i hold in this realm of life and what are the positive ones that i want to aspire to and when you do that, it's going to be super, super eye-opening because some guys straight up, again, they're killers in one area and right. they're terrible at the other one. I've, I've, I've seen that in my own life, like where I'm able to be successful in one avenue and then ch am challenged to then transition that into mm -hmm. other aspects of my life. But at least if you have the awareness that all these games that we're playing are the same, uh, mm -hmm. eventually you'll get there. But not many people realize that every single game we play in life is truly uh, playing by the same set of rules ultimately. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's for us is like when we landed on this idea and we kind of organically landed on the brand default Kings, right? We landed on that naturally because it was a communication that we were having with clients that we found the terminology of this is what you default to. Mm. We were talking about habits, but we we're like, this is what you default to. Wait, why don't we just call this default actions and then rebrand? And when we landed on it, we truly felt like we cracked the code because we realized quickly, oh, this applies everywhere. Everywhere. And so when we had that and we had that light bulb moment, we were like, this is the thing. This is the vehicle that we're going to move forward and brand with and go forward with because you can use it everywhere. Now, obviously, that's great because it, it translates well to clients, people we work with and to others through content. It's also great in a business perspective because it's like, what if we want to venture into those other fields at some point? Right. 
we can teach mental frameworks that we've taught in fitness and weight loss to people in business or in life or in relationships. We can teach them the same mental frameworks and expand the business to literally under other industries if we ever wanted to. So when we landed on this, it was a massive, holy shit. <laughs> Cause it works everywhere. Right. right. And in a lot of aspects of life. So now just like making progress in all aspects of life, there's a sustainability factor. And especially when it comes to health and keeping fat off, um, because uh, I've said this before, but before I was able to lose 80 pounds and keep it off, um, I, I yo-yoed. I would lose 20 pounds, gain it back. Uh, so I'm sure you've helped a lot of people lose that weight. But now, do you guys do anything in particular to help them then sustain it? Because that in and of itself, I've learned, is a completely different challenge. Yep. Yeah, and it is. You're right. It absolutely is. It's just like anything else, right? Building a business is different than maintaining a build a business, right? Losing the weight is different than maintaining the weight. Right, right. And the way that we do this is we try to teach them the same avenues that they're going to use in the sustain phase as they're using in the lose phase. So I like to dumb it down to calories and protein while they're losing weight. Because if I think about myself, what I'm conscious of, I'm conscious of my protein and my calories. That's really the stuff I'm conscious of. I don't tangibly track it. But we try to progress them to that point where they don't have to. Right. Right. Now, every guy, every guy's at a different point. Some guys, they're going to be able to jump right into no calories, no tracking. Some guys, it's going to take them six months before they can switch to not tracking their calories. But we try to make it as sustainable and simple as possible on the front end. That way, the mm -hmm. back end's e easier. But what we found is if we nail this psychological part with them, typically the rest takes care of itself. Mm. Cause they're just going to continue to act out that new identity that they've created for themselves within the program. And they're going to continue to act that out. And the only time that that becomes jeopardized is if they start acting out of alignment with it again, right? Maybe they go back to an old environment. Maybe they lose their job or they end a relationship and they go back to the place that they were before they were with us and they get thrust into that old place. All right, well, we got to do some identity. Right. Again, don't we? Right. right. And, and the mistake that I don't want anybody to take from this is that, you do this exercise once and you're fixed and you're, you're, you're unfucked forever. This is something that you have to constantly come back to and keep fresh in your mind. We have our guys journal what their goals and their identity is every single day in the program, 30 seconds in the morning, but they do have to keep it at the forefront of their mind. Cause if they just ignore it and they do the exercise once and walk away, it ain't going to work. Connecting to your why. It's not going to, right? Right. It's not, it's not gonna. So literally every morning they're writing out, what are they grateful for? What are the identities that they're aspiring to be like? And what are the goals that they have? They write it out, takes them 30 seconds. They send it to their coach. Boom. Every day. That same guy that I was talking to you about earlier, that's lost like 75 pounds. He hasn't missed a single day. That's awesome. He's been with us for eight months. He hasn't missed a single day. He's on like his journal entry. It's like day 192 or something. It's crazy. He hasn't missed. He hasn't missed. So of course he's going to lose a hundred pounds in a year. Of course right? Undeniable. Undeniable. And so that's, that's the thing that happens is again, you have to stay consistent with it. Right. And then we have to simplify the principles that we're teaching them. So we do try to dumb it down to as simple as possible. And that's what makes it sustainable on the back end. I, uh, and, and when I was thinking about even asking you this yesterday morning with my wife at the, at the place that we're at in Aruba, we went to the breakfast buffet and yeah. I'm walking around and I'm just thinking to myself, about how I approach this breakfast buffet, why I'm mm -hmm. going to choose the food that I'm going to choose to fuel myself. And then I tried to put myself in my former self 
uh, and what I would have done and why. And I even felt the the <laughs> urge. I felt the urge, like my <laughs> yeah. old self, to just grab the pancakes, grab the waffles, yeah. grab everything that I knew wouldn't serve me best. But then I was able to laugh at it, create some space, and then say, no, I'm just going to go for four sunny side up eggs, some bacon, some sausage, mm-hmm. some papaya, some watermelon, and uh, mm-hmm. and keep it simple. And I know mm-hmm. that I'm touching my macros. I know I'm getting my my uh like you know my micro nutrients mm-hmm. um that i need for the day and and there's so much less time spent on making that decision because it's become so default like you were saying yeah. um and it was just automatic so i realized that i was spending maybe 30 seconds thinking about what i wanted to fuel myself with mm-hmm adding zero stress to my life compared to before I lost all that weight and was able to keep it off. And I would spend 45 minutes to an hour debating what I wanted to eat, make the wrong decision, know that I made the wrong decision and then stress about making the wrong decision (laughs) and just pump my body with cortisol and probably make it even more difficult to lose weight. So that's why I think the sustainability factor and creating that awareness, like you said, with journaling every day, attaching to your desired or more desirable self or identity is truly important because today I don't, I don't journal about that every day, but it's something that I definitely am more conscious about. But at the beginning, I needed to do that much more often just to create the habit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting as well, because what tends to happen is when you stop eating garbage, you stop craving garbage. Yes. Like for you, I can speak for myself personally, when I've gone through seasons where maybe I'm balking or I'm prepping for a lift, like I'm going ham on the carbs, bro. I'm going ham. And when I'm in a season where I'm not like right now, I'm just like, yeah, dude, I'm just going to fight and lift and and hang out. I I don't crave that stuff because it's it's not in the forefront of my mind. I'm not regularly eating it. So I don't go for it. Same thing happens with our clients. They're like, man, as soon as I stopped eating garbage, I just, I didn't have a craving for it anymore. I just, I want to have the eggs and, and ground beef and the good stuff and the fruits and the honey. I don't want to have the processed garbage. Your body literally becomes receptive to it and starts to plant cravings for you and plant detectors from the stuff that you know is bad. And it almost grosses you out in a certain capacity. Right. Definitely. I've, I've realized that too. And um, that's that's one of the things I'm seeing people struggle with a lot is that they they listen to their to that craving and they think that that craving is them. And they think that that thought or that desire to have that waffle or to have that pancake when they know that they don't need it um instead of you know the eggs is is what they identify with at that moment so creating that awareness and creating that space uh is is huge that's key and and man when you start out with a diet that's a low calorie diet and that's the way you're going to lose weight like our guys are where a lot of people run into problems is cravings you're not eating that many calories and the insurance policy against that like i was talking about earlier muscles insurance policy well proteins an insurance policy against cravings Yes. And when you're actually consuming adequate protein, you're going to be more satiated, right? And you're going to be more nourished and recovered. And so that is where a lot of guys, when they first enter, their two biggest questions when I have a kickoff call with a guy is like, how am I going to hit this calorie number? That seems small. How am I going to hit that protein number? That seems high. I'm like, yep. Like, yep. Yeah, it is. is. That is part of the battle, right? The, The initial week or two is like, okay, how do I actually shop for this? How do I get this? But once they're hitting it, they're like, dude, I could eat even less calories. We have guys even say, they're like, can I do, and we start them out low, man, like at BMR or below BMR. And once they nail the protein thing, 
there are guys that come and say, can I do even less calories? Because I'm not hungry and I want to speed up this process. And we have to tell them no, because we're like, look, you're kind of already at a very, very low mark. Like we don't want you to go lower. But once they hit the protein, they don't care. They're not craving anything. They're not hungry. They don't have those old satiety things going on in the background because they're crushing the protein. Right. And it really does work. Yeah. And I realize that that, that's a big thing when I'm, when I'm talking with people about it, the way that I reduce cravings is, is by erring on the side of more protein. So even when I'm not counting calories, I'm not tracking the amount of grams of protein that I'm taking in each day. I have a rough idea just from tracking it prior to know a ballpark that I'm, that I'm hitting each day. So, um, I, I rarely am hungry. Sometimes I'll forget to eat sometimes. Um, and I have to remind myself like, yo, you got to get in another 50 grams at least, or hammer another six eggs, uh, at night. But, um, the, the protein and, um, or just erring on the side of more protein to be satiated and to reduce those cravings and to separate yourself from those, uh, those weaker thoughts or the weaker actions is, is huge, at least in, in my life too. Um, so I would say that that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, good. Yeah. I was just saying in the landmark that I use for people is around a pound of meat is roughly hundred grams. Of protein. That's, that's, that's kind of what I'm going for too. Yeah. It's going to be now, don't get me wrong. Like, that's not a perfect flawless number. Cause I know somebody's going to be like, Oh, I looked at my ground pork and it said 84 grams and it was a pound. <laughs> somebody's going to say that it, right. it is going to vary on either side of it. But if you use that as your landmark, that's very good. So for myself personally, like I have about a pound of meat a day and maybe a quarter pound of fish of sorts. It's typically what I'll do. That gets me to roughly 125 for me personally. My goal is 200. I weigh like 175, 80, 180 pounds, but I also train typically twice a day. So I'm trying to break through 200. The other way I get that protein is through like Greek yogurt, uh, kefir, cheese, things like that. And then also trace protein that you're going to get from like breads and things along those lines. So that's kind of the marker that I use for myself. And and it works. Is it perfect? No, it's not perfect at all. But not tracking calories and not tracking your protein, it's going to lead you to not perfect things. But it's also far more sustainable and far more enjoyable and far less time consuming than pulling out my fitness pal and tracking with a scale every time I go out and eat. The caveat, I'm already a healthy person. Right. If you're somebody that's not healthy, you do need to take the time to go and do that stuff and understand what the fuck you're actually putting in your body. That's the caveat. I love the no calorie tracking model. I do once you're healthy. Yes, that's that's the key. Mm-hmm. That's the key. Dude, this is awesome. Um, I, I know that you started to talk about what you guys were going to do or starting to do in the future. So um, for those listening, can you talk about what you guys have planned, um, the, in, the in-person stuff and even online? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. It, the, the biggest thing for us is what we're realizing now, now that we've kind of broke through the, the seven-figure run rate mark, which is kind of breaking out of the infancy of business, which sounds scary to a lot of people that are fresh into business, <laughs> but that really is the metric that a lot of people use is like, once you're actually at a, a mill a year run rate, you're now a child, not an infant, still a child, but you're not an infant. Um, it's actually pulled from Michael Masterson's book as well. He calls zero to one infancy, one to 10, chill out like childhood, 10 to 50 adolescence and 50 mil plus is you're an adult. Nice. So we're in the the childhood phase of business now, according to him. And his biggest lesson and the biggest lesson that we've pulled from other mentors as well is moving from our one product business to a many product business. Mm. Best way to a million, and this is what worked for us, was one product, one offer, one channel, blast it. 
we've run one offer that's gotten us to that point. Now let's go to multiple channels. Let's move from just Twitter to let's move to YouTube. Let's move to Instagram. Let's add a team so we can actually repurpose this content and use it in other platforms. Let's hire podcast setters so we can do stuff like this and get in front of more people. And let's also just give people more things to buy. So on the back end of what we have right now, like opening the door to in-person retreats, opening the door to masterminds um, on the front end, something that's very, very real possibility in the calendar year is maybe we start a low ticket community on the front end mm. for the people that can't afford to pay a high ticket price for coaching and get inside a DK. Maybe we have another option for them. That's X, Y, Z dollars a month, very affordable that we can get more people into. So the biggest thing for us right now in the current state of the business is just having more things for people to buy literally as silly as that sounds, whether that be low ticket, high ticket in person online, just starting to expand starting to expand, man. And I, and we want to go to more channels as well. Like that's, that's the the big thing. Right. And uh, you, I know you've heard this as well too. I feel like everybody, when I tell them we run a social media business, everybody that doesn't <laughs> actually do business, why aren't you guys on Instagram? <laughs> why aren't you guys on YouTube? I'm like, I know, I know. Just wait, just <laughs> hold on, just hold on. It's coming. Just wait. But it's funny. Cause it's always somebody that like, doesn't do anything with social yes. media or, or online marketing. Like I've, no I've internet marketing. Myself. I've yeah, like no, no internet marketing like knowledge at all. They're like, dude, why aren't you on all of it? I'm like, bro, come <laughs> just wait. <laughs> so oh, man. yeah, that that is a big thing. More channels, more products. Dude, this is awesome. Um, if people want to get in touch with you or the guys, what's what's the best place for them to reach out? Twitter is still the the number one thing for me, man. I, I have my DMs open as well, and I love having conversations in there. So um doesn't have to just be like a work with me inquiry. I mean, anybody that that door is open for you. That's why it's a public account, and that's why the DMs are open. And my my Twitter's the same handle as my name. It's just first name last name. Um, at Joey Yoheim. So J O E Y Y O C H H E I M. So that is still the best place to contact me, um, for the time being. Twitter. Cool, man. Really appreciate you uh, spending your time with me. I know it's early in the morning for you. Um, oh, man, I know, I'm caffeinated I know. up, bro. I'm good, bro. I got my coffee and I woke up early, got my coffee and my sparkling water. I'm good, bro. <laughs> really appreciate this, Joey. Yeah, man. yeah I'm, I appreciate excited, you, I'm excited to see what you guys uh, do going forward. I appreciate you, man. Hope you have an awesome rest of your day, man.